0: Well, hey, if you're new with us, we are just on our second week of a summer series that's through the Psalms, that's hard to say, summer series through the Psalms. But we invite you to just jump in with us. It's going to be a summer where we dive into this book of the Old Testament that is just rich with the language of faith, the language and the life and the practices of what it means to enter into and grow in a a faith-filled, trusting relationship with God. And so if you're new with us, just jump in. This morning, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite psalms. And as we jump in, I'm going to ask elizabeth miles to come and read our our passage for us uh, this morning
1: psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
0: This morning, we are jumping in to Psalm 23, which is perhaps the most well-known of all the Psalms. Most of us have heard this Psalm before, probably multiple times, and where is the place that we most often hear psalm 23 yeah we we generally hear this psalm read at a memorial service or a funeral but but here's the irony of that this psalm is not primarily about death this psalm is actually about life it's about life in the shadows life in the valley, life in this world where there's pain and suffering and hurt and tragedy and it's a psalm about how to live here, how to live here well and one of the reasons I think that this psalm resonates so deeply with us is that it, it tackles three questions. Three questions that are honest. Three questions that are raw. Three questions that I believe are core to the experience of what it means to be human. And they're questions about God. Who is God? A question every human heart longs to know the answer for. Where do we find Him? And then finally, what does He promise? And perhaps there is not a passage of Scripture that that cuts to the answer um, for each of these three questions more quickly and more beautifully than Psalm 23. And maybe the reason this psalm is written so well with such precision and and extravagance is because it is written by a guy named David. And David, if you know, um, is a character in the Old Testament who in one sense had it all. David uh, was smart and brave and handsome and successful, and he had some real victories in life, some real high points, some things that were noteworthy and even um, worthy of of bragging about. But David was also extremely familiar with the valley. There were some low times in the life of David, quite a few actually. Actually think about this for a minute. I'm just going to walk you through a few of the things that David experienced. And I just want you to imagine how many valleys and what the valleys that David experienced were like. David lost not just one, but two wives. He experienced the death of multiple children. For the children of the children that didn't die he helplessly watched many of them go down their own paths paths of of destruction time and time again we read about david experiencing times of loneliness and isolation times of depression times of great fear tremendous insecurity and then to cap off his life david walked the long hard road of a significant moral failure david had to face the reality that perhaps he was not the man that everyone believed him to be perhaps he was not the man that he even believed himself to be but here's the truth it was on that road and in those places not just the high points but in the the low points in particular that david got the answers to some questions that he got to know god in a very deep and authentic way In fact, David got to know God so intimately that he is referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He's the writer of this psalm. A man after God's own heart, penned Psalm 23. And we learn some things from him about life in this world. Let's read these words together. They'll be on the screen. Let's go ahead and read aloud, just the first section. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Philip Keller was a 20th century Middle Eastern shepherd who wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And the premise of the book is very simple, very straightforward. We, in 21st century America, in the modern world, we understand some things about God when we read this psalm. But there are certainly some things that we miss. We miss some things because most of us in this room, if not all of us, do not have the experience of being a shepherd. We're not that familiar with sheep. Anyone in here a shepherd? In the first service there actually was a person, of course, right? I'm like banking on the fact that there's no one. Oh man, another shepherd in here. So here we go. We're just a a, a very blessed church. Well, let me tell you some things that Keller says that he learned about sheep and being a shepherd during the time that he practiced the profession. He writes this in his book. In David's day, the shepherd gave 24 hours a day, seven days a week, supervision, care, and protection. He would eat with the sheep. He would travel with the sheep. He would sleep among the sheep. He was solely responsible for the protection and the health and the nourishment of these animals. And he did all this because the shepherd wanted the sheep to flourish. And in the psalm, right away, as David declares God as his shepherd, what he's telling us is that we do not serve a far-off God, but a God who wants to watch over you, guide your life, help you flourish give you rest one thing about sheep is that's interesting is that they're not a very restful animal one thing that sheep don't do very well is is nap sheep are actually quite skittish they're very nervous they have a hard hard time resting and so one of the shepherds primary jobs It's a job you wouldn't think of, but it's just to provide environments where the sheep can get some rest. Because every healthy sheep needs rest, and yet they just won't rest. They have a hard time resting when they're alone. They have a hard time resting when there's a sense of danger. They have a hard time resting in a crowd. They have a hard time resting if there's noise, or irritation, or stress, or any kind of conflict in the flock. Sheep just can't rest. And so the the shepherd has to force the issue. Any of you ever have a kid um, that had a hard time resting? Ever have a kid like that? Our kids were generally fairly good at resting. They would take naps quite well. At least my first two would. But then our third one came along. And she's our creative type. And so she would not nap. She would not rest. And so we would have to force the issue. And we would put her in a room. But because she has such a creative mind, like her mother, she would just pretend and play and pretend and play. And she would get exhausted. But then she would not sleep. And then all of a sudden, it would hit. If you forced her for long enough, she would just crash. Recently, I uh, bought her one of those little floaty devices for the pool because she passed level 3 in swimming, which she's very, very proud about. Um, And so give her a high-five for that if you see her. And and then later on that day, we found her like this, laying on her floaty in the middle of the kitchen, just crashed out with a sleeping mask on. Uh, Another time, um, my wife walked in on her... Um, during a time where she was supposed to be sleeping and found that she had, had crashed out like this with her sunglasses on and her radio just like completely and she would just crash. And the point is, is that sometimes we just need someone to force us to rest. And that's God's role. He knows that we need rest. And so one of his primary jobs, one of his primary roles is to put us in places and put us in positions where we can get the rest we need. Here, here's another thing about shepherds. Shepherds, uh, it's, a, it's a word in the church that I think we largely misunderstand. So A lot of times in church we'll talk about someone who's a shepherd and our, our understanding of that is someone who's nice and cozy, and cuddly and agreeable and makes us just feel good. Isn't that right? A shepherd. And yet, I'm not sure that's the biblical image of a shepherd. I'm not sure that's even what we see here in Psalm 23. Look at the words. See how assertive and commanding the shepherd is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. There's no debate here. It's not, hey, I'd really like it if you would lie down, please. It's lie down now. And when David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, there's this really powerful thing happening. You see, uh, green pastures were not... All that common in the ancient Near East. We're going to talk about how it's really the desert in just a minute. And so the green pasture was the place where all the animals came. Hey, have you ever watched like a, a wildlife video like on Discovery Channel or something and they, they'll show Africa in the midst of a drought and there'll be like that one water hole and every single animal in the world has gathered at this one watering hole and they're all there and, and, and the predators are there and the predatees are there and the predators are kind of eyeing them and licking their chops. It's the watering hole. It's where they have to be but it is not a safe place. It's not a place where you lie down and take a nap. That was the green pasture the place where you could never relax because there there was always danger present. And, And the message here is, but if you're with the shepherd, if the shepherd's with you and he has your back, you can sleep like a baby because he's watching. It says, he leads me beside quiet waters. You know, We live in Oregon, and we take water and green for granted. In fact, for most of us these days, we are tired of water and green. But we have to remember, this passage is written to folks who lived in the desert. It's written about a place that's brown and dry, and where water is scarce. I remember when we first moved to California, we moved from from Minneapolis. We lived in Minnesota. Um, which is why some of you are always like wondering how we feel so at home in Oregon. Minneapolis is a lot more like Oregon um, than, than California. And so we moved to, to California, and I remember for the first few months we lived there, um, people would say things like, when they were giving us directions, Oh, you just cruise across the river, and then you turn right, and da-da-da-da-da, right? And they, they kept referencing this river. There's always this river, this river. And then you go across the river, or behind the river, over the river. And after like three months of living there, finally one day I just said to one of my buddies, like, people keep talking about this river, and I have never seen a river, not one time. And then he explained it to me. The river wasn't really a river. It was just a dried-out, dusty, shrub-filled riverbed that hadn't seen water in years. They called it the Santa Clarita River. It was no river. There's no water. In Minnesota, rivers have water. In Oregon, the rivers flow. In California, they're just dry. They were dry in ancient Israel as well. You know the number one cause of death for a sheep in ancient Israel... The number one way that a sheep would, would meet its demise was not starvation, it was not dehydration, it was not attack from wild animals. Flash floods. Flash floods took the lives of more sheep than anything else because you see, the limestone mountains, they don't in, in the ancient world they don't they don't absorb water real well. And so rain would come up in the mountains, and all the water that would, would not absorb into the land would just come rushing down these dry riverbeds. And then they would leave some water, pools of water, trickles of water, and so, you know, unknowing sheep would make their way down. "Oh, this looks like a place to get a drink. These look like the quiet waters that we've been longing for. And then all of a sudden, here comes the flood. And I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep before, but they don't swim real well. Um, you see here's the thing about sheep it's the same thing about us we tend to get confused about the places where our souls will find nourishment you see places that look like they will fill us rest us, restore us, nourish us they actually won't, they're actually just a trap this is why friends we have alcohol problems and drug problems and food problems this is why we binge watch shows on Netflix or spend money and time that we don't care to admit on our appearance this is why we buy more than we can afford and spend more than we earn because we are like sheep who are attracted to waters that look quiet that promise nourishment that say they will quench our souls but in the end they won't they will only destroy us David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And those two little words, in want, are are really powerful because this passage in the psalm is not saying that if God is your shepherd, it will be like the greatest Christmas ever and you'll get everything you want in life. You'll get everything you ever desired to have in this world. No, those words actually mean cease or run dry. The promise is that if God is your shepherd... He will not let your soul run dry. He knows where to find the waters that will keep you nourished. He knows where you will be safe. You see, this passage isn't about what you think your body needs or your checkbook needs or what the world tells you about your sexual needs. This is about what God knows your soul needs. This is a passage about what, at the core of who you are, The Lord of the universe wants to offer you for sustenance, for a life of peace and hope and joy that transcends the short and simple fleeting circumstances of this world, both good and bad. You see, God wants to lead you to the quiet waters, the safe waters, the places where you can find quenching for your soul, the quenching that you need. That's why in this series we are handed out these journals because the same thing uh, applies to sheep as about their eating habits and their drinking habits as applies to their napping habits. Sheep are real skittish drinkers and they're real skittish eaters. They're real skittish resters. The one thing that allows them to do all three of those things with confidence, with peace, is if they're in the presence of their shepherd. You see, this little journal, it's not just a journal. It's actually a little stream for your soul this summer. It's a place where you can go and you can get a drink with your Heavenly Father in His presence and find something that will actually quench the thirst that your heart and mind and soul are looking for. This past week, some staff um, were together and we were reading the psalms and we were writing in our journals we spent about 15 minutes before one of our meetings and just said let's just read let's just talk let's just pray let's just think and write and it was significant to me that at the end of that time just this 15 minute period there was kind of a sense in the room of just relief just as we all realized man man my heart needed that more than I could have ever imagined. You see, God wants you. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to lead you to the quiet waters. He wants to let you relax in the green pastures. He wants you to be rest, rested and filled and nourished. And He knows that will only happen if you commit to spending time in His presence. So the question right out of the gate is simple Is God your shepherd? See, David makes that declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. But it's not just a declaration, it's an invitation. Is the Lord your shepherd? Have you given him the right to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to feed you, to protect you? Is he calling the shots? And I ask that because the alternative is real tempting in our world. The alternative to that is to say, I don't need a shepherd I'll be my own shepherd. No one's running my life. I'll call my own shots. And that sounds great, friends. It sounds fun. It sounds freeing and liberating. There's such temptation to live our lives that way. It's the way the world will tell you that you should live your life. And yet, friends, while in the short run it may seem freeing, in the end it will lead to a life of unceasing worry. Worry about future... And about children, and about job success, and about health, and about whatever crisis it is that comes your way. You see, there's so much freedom in not ultimately being in charge of your own life. I was with the Royal Family Kids Camp team a couple weeks ago. Um, a whole team of people from our church that next Sunday depart for a week-long camp where we pour out into the lives uh, of kids in the foster care system, just love on them and build them up. And it's an emotionally exhausting week and it's an emotionally filling week. And We're at this training and Tom Stevens, who's the director, kind of put me on the spot and he said, Dave, why do you like coming to camp? And I shared a few reasons why I love Royal Family Kids Camp. And then I shared one other reason that is really um, extremely true. It's because I don't have to be in charge at camp. You know, we all like being in charge, like having control of our lives. Sometimes we like being the one that other people are looking to for answers or directions. And just because of my life and the role that I'm in and how God wired me up, I find myself to be in charge all the time. I'm in charge of everything and for a while that was really fun but you know what? As I'm getting older, you know what I'm discovering? There is beauty in not being in charge. What's next on the agenda? I don't know. Ask Tom. Why can't we have two desserts? I don't know. Ask Tom. Why do we have to go to bed so early, Dave? I don't know. It's Tom's fault. I'm not in charge. He's in charge. Talk to him. Complaints go to him. All emails to Tom. It is a great week yeah <laughs> And I think Tom even likes being in charge of that one week. Um, so, friends, I guess the point is not that we pa- just pass the buck to God. But the point is is that there is such freedom and understanding that you don't have to be the shepherd of your own life. You don't have to be the one who's ultimately responsible for everything. Imagine a world where you can do everything that you can do. You can be responsible, do your part, but then when your kids walk away, you don't have to worry about them. You can just say, God, you've got them. What, what if the numbers in the bank account didn't have to keep you awake at night because the good shepherd was looking out for you and he would provide? What if people's opinions of you or your success at work didn't have to consume your thoughts? Anyone here wake up in the middle of the night with stress and worry just rattle around in your brain? What if you could just hand all that to somebody else? What if you could know that you know that you know that there was someone above you, bigger than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, looking out for you? It's a beautiful thing. Who is God, David says, he's my shepherd I shall not be in want. he will not let me run dry he makes me lie down in green pastures I can even rest there he leads me beside quiet waters the real waters where I can be nourished and get my thirst quenched and he restores my soul he takes care of the parts of me that ultimately truly matter next where do we find him and this is my favorite part He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, for your rod and your staff they comfort me. Friends, this passage has in my mind one of the most descriptive images in all of Scripture the valley of the shadow of death. Think about that image. You know, what I think is fascinating about this imagery is that David is not talking about actual death here. He's not just talking about death. He's talking about something far bigger, far greater, something beyond death. He's talking about death's shadow. And the shadow isn't the real thing. It's the evidence of something. That, it's an evidence that something is there. It's the thing that actually blocks the light. You see... The valley is the place where death and evil and sin and brokenness loom over us and they cast a shadow on our existence that tries to keep us from enjoying all the light and life that God intends us to live in. You see, the valley is a part of this broken world and David knew it well. But here's the thing about the valley, and don't miss this. The path of righteousness leads right through it. The path of righteousness always has a stretch through the valley. There is no way to go walk the path of being right with God, knowing God deeply and intimately, and not take a, take a stretch through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name'sake. Friends, if you want to find God, if you want to experience him deeply, if you want to know being right with the Lord of heaven and earth, righteousness, being right with God, then there's a road at some point you must walk, and it's the road through the valley. Last week, Amy and I were out of town um, for a funeral. Uh, the wife of some of our closest couple friends in Ventura Uh, finally passed away after a long, hard walk through the valley. Wendy had a 14-year path through the valley of shadow and death called cancer. Uh, This is a picture of their family. That's my buddy Jim, his wife Wendy, and their two boys, Liam and Noah. Liam's a freshman in high school this year, and Noah is the same age as my daughter Skylar. He's a seventh grader. Wendy was diagnosed Four weeks after the birth of her second son. A time that's supposed to be one of the most joy-filled of your life. And it was marred by this, this shadow. She was told that the cancer that she had was not curable and that it would kill her if the treatment didn't. And that, my friends, is a thick shadow for a young mother to live under. Thirteen and a half years years she walked through that valley. They told her that she'd be lucky to get five and she went 13 and a half. More hospital and doctor visits than we could count. Multiple rounds of chemo, experimental drugs, a a stem cell transplant where they take you to the brink of death by killing off your bone marrow with the hopes that your body will somehow fight back in a way that it hasn't before. You see, that... That shadow, that's a shadow that comes with anger and fear and worry and doubt and questions for God that are not easily answered. In fact, one particular night I remember, and there were several of these, Amy and I had gone over to the McGee's and Wendy had again gotten the dreaded news that her cancer was back again. She was not in a good place that night. She was angry and confused and scared and doubting and discouraged and frustrated. And to be honest, she let us have it. She actually let God have it. She was asking me all the hard questions. I went over, as the pastor, I'm supposed to have the answers. And she was angry. She wanted to know why, how come, how could he. Everything you can think to ask, she asked. And she was not shy about it. At one point, I remember thinking... Are you allowed to question God like this? Are you allowed to argue with God with this much veracity and indignance? And what I've come to believe, the Bible says, is, yeah. Yeah, you are. In fact, I think God longs for people who will come to Him with the honesty and transparency and vulnerability of a Wendy McGee. You see, it was on that Path that Wendy, in that valley that Wendy met the real God. It was in that valley that her her faith became more than just something she claimed to believe. It became real. It connected her to the source of life. It was in that dark valley that things got personal with God. You know something about Psalm twenty three that I've never noticed before this week is that it's right here, right in the middle of this psalm, that we see this amazing shift. And it's a a change in the tense. There's a tense change right in the middle. You see that? David moves from speaking about the Lord to speaking to the Lord. You see, the psalm starts with him saying, the Lord is my shepherd, third person. But when he gets to the shadow, when he gets to the valley, he says, for you are with me, first person first person. You see friends, it's in the valley of of the shadow of death that we meet the first person God. We meet him face to face. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Friends, maybe you're here today and you're in a valley of your own. Maybe it's the valley of addiction. Maybe it's the valley of of a difficult marriage. Maybe it's the valley of financial struggles or health issues. Whatever valley you're in, friends, God says, I am with you in that place. And it's here, right here, in this dark valley that we can get personal. It's in this place that I can teach you about righteousness in a way that you can never learn on the mountaintop. Who is God? Our shepherd? Where do we find him? We find him in the unexpected place of the dark, shadowy valley. And finally, what does he promise? David says... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, now David's talking about eternity. Now he's talking about forever. He's not just talking about what God will do in the here and now, but he's talking about what God will do till the end of time. And he speaks here of tremendous blessing. To have your cup runneth over was just an image of being abundantly blessed. When you were anointed with oil in the Old Testament, they didn't just dab it on your forehead like we do now. They dumped it over your head so that it ran down your hair. And if you had a beard, well, a thicker one than mine, down your beard and then all over your body. Friends, have you ever tried to get oil off? You ever dumped oil all over yourself and then tried to wash it off? It's not easy. Even with showers and conditioners and special soaps, we have a hard time getting it off. This was the ancient world. That oil stuck with them for weeks, maybe even months. Man, still got some of that oil in my hair. That's the blessing of God. It doesn't go away. Then my favorite part of this closing sections imagery is this he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you see in ancient times when two nations would war against one another and one nation was victorious over the other after the battle was won what they would do is they would take the the, the losing uh, nations kings and military leaders and they would bind them up and they would sit them down and they'd put a big table in front of them and then they'd take the losing nation's best livestock and they would butcher it. And they'd prepare an enormous feast and they would use the losing nation's best silverware and goblets and they'd throw this enormous feast right in front of the losing king, the losing military leaders who were bound up, and they'd make them feast. Here we are, we're feasting on all your stuff. And it was this declaration We have annihilated you, you're done. You're dead. You're finished. You see the imagery here? You see what David is telling us? He's saying someday the shadow will be destroyed. Someday that valley will be redeemed. David is saying, someday all the evil and injustice and brokenness and hurt and pain in this world, God will rule over it. He will mock it. He will destroy it. He will kill it. It will all be redeemed by Him. Someday, friends, cancer is going down. And I'm happy about it. Someday, drug addiction, it'll be laid to waste. Mental illness and depression, God's going to utterly defeat them. Racism, bigotry, hatred, all gonna be annihilated by our God. Someday that valley and those shadows, they will be a distant memory. And that's the promise. That's the promise we know to be true. And the reason we know it's true is because the victory's already been won. It was won on the cross. It was won on the third day when the grave was empty and the stone was rolled away. You see, at the very beginning of this psalm, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We win that battle. The valley is defeated through me, through my life, through my death, in my resurrection. You see, friends, Every time we come to the table, we look square into the face of whatever shadows are in our lives and we say, Someday. Someday you're going down. Someday this will be made right. Someday my God will redeem. Someday my God will restore. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. You see, we come to the table to be reminded of the power of the living God and the hope that we have in Him. We come to the table to gain perseverance and endurance, to continue to walk the road of faith, even when it leads right through a dark, shadowy valley. And so this morning, let me ask you this question. Have you made the declaration of David? Have you said, The Lord is my shepherd. I give my life to Him. I yield my heart to Him I declare that He is my God so that He will watch over me. I am not ultimately responsible for my life. I don't have to be in charge. I don't want to be in charge. When I'm in charge, I just make a mess of things. Have you given your life to the Good Shepherd? You're walking through a valley today. You're walking through a dark, shadowy place, something that seems long and hard and difficult. Maybe this morning when you come to the table, you just need to come and you need to bring that shadowy place with you and you need to say, Lord, meet me in this place. I want to get personal with you in this place. Use this place to bring us face to face, to create righteousness in me. Just instead of fighting it, just open yourself up to it and say, God, I invite you into this space with me. Or maybe today you just need to come and you just need to remember the hope, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the God that will put sin and evil and injustice to shame in this world. Whatever you need today, Lord, it's, it's available to you at the table in this meal through the bread representing the body of Christ that was broken and the cup reminding us of the blood that was shed, both reminding us of the victory that our God has won over sin and death and the dark shadowy valleys of this world so take a few minutes ask God to speak to you and then when you're ready as Jerry and the worship team play you just come and receive the meal as we prepare ourselves let me pray Father thank you for using the valleys in our lives to remind us how much we need you I pray right now, Lord, for anyone who in here who just needs to make you the shepherd, the good shepherd of their life. I pray that you'd remind them of your love for them. I pray that you'd remind them, Lord, that the invitation still stands no matter how much stuff there is, no matter how much brokenness or hurt, no matter how much sin or wrongdoing, Lord, it's never too late. I just pray that you'd pull them in by the power of your spirit today. And then, Lord, there's some valleys in this room. There's some dark, shadowy valleys, God. I pray that in those places you would meet us, that you would stand face to face with us, that you would walk with us, that you would give us the courage to not just be plasticky Christians, but to be people who get personal with you, the living God. Help us to know you more, Lord. Use those valleys in our lives. And then remind us of the hope that's coming. Remind us of the victory that we have in you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are, for all that you've done. You are good, and you are God, and you are friend and Savior and Lord. It's all for you, Lord. We thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.